Welcome, Grace Church, and all who have joined us near and far. As we begin this time, our desire is to give all glory to Christ. Hear the words of Psalm 145. I will exalt you and extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are good in all your ways. You are kind in all your deeds. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our scripture reading for today is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. And so I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. And a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is God's word. And please pray with me now. Lord God, we thank you for your grace to us. Lord, to come into your presence with thanksgiving, with praise, bringing glory to you as your creatures who are acknowledging their creator. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of acknowledging that you are good and great, that you are patient and kind, that you are merciful, that you are loving. Thank you, Lord, that you are all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present. Thank you, Lord, that you have the world under control, that you know all things, and that there's no surprises to you today or any day of our life. Lord, we want to confess that we have often gone astray, that our Hearts have wandered after false gods and idols and things that would ruin us. Lord, we just confess to you our sins. We confess to you our failings. We confess to you that we have fallen short of your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we confess our sins to you. Thank you, Lord, that we have the gospel truth of Christ crucified and risen and coming again. Thank you, Lord, for what Jesus did at the cross. Thank you, Lord, that he is now at your right hand interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Often, Lord, we don't know what to pray, but we can always pray with thanksgiving. We thank you for every good and perfect gift you give us, the blessings that are both pleasurable and painful to us even, Lord. Thank you for the hard times of life. And even now, Lord, we want to lift before you all those that are helping in this time of worldwide crisis. 
We pray for doctors and we pray for firefighters and police and so many other essential services that are helping people and loving people and, and being merciful and compassionate. Lord, give them strength to do their work even with joy. And Lord, we pray even for this time that you would do the work in our hearts that you desire. We thank you for the privilege of linking up with so many partners around the world who are getting the gospel out. We pray that you would lead and guide and protect and provide for them in, in their ministries. And we pray that as we continue to sing and pray and hear your word, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
you had to make a list of all the things that you feel that you cannot live without, what would be on that list? I actually want you to take a moment right now and think of your top three. What are the top three things that you feel like you just can't live without? If I had to take a wild guess, I think at the top of the list would be caffeinated things. Coffee, tea, soda, the ever-popular chocolate. My favorite is dark. So I think caffeinated things would be up there. And I think next, uh, communicating and connecting devices. Why would I say that? Well, because every day worldwide, 6 million cellular phones are sold, 250 trillion emails are sent, 700 million tweets are sent, and 6 billion Google searches are done. So we are very attached to our communicating and connecting devices, and we got our cell phones and our TVs and our tablets and our laptops and our computers, right? And it doesn't matter how old you are, you might have that favorite a game you like to play or that show you like to watch. So we've got caffeinated things. We've got uh, communicating and connecting devices. And look, this uh, huge Lakers and UCLA fan cannot uh, leave out uh, competitive sports. And so we'll just lump in the third category of competitive sports and other entertainment, as if there is, you know, any other entertainment. Um, but we know there is. Uh, for example, $300 million dollars is spent on video games daily, daily. Those numbers I gave you before, those are the numbers for every single day, and every single day worldwide, $300 million is spent on video games, and it isn't just kids. It's mostly adults that are spending that money. Now, I've noticed, I've, I've noticed this, that a month off from sports, it was very hard for me to not have March Madness. It was very difficult for me to not have the end of the NBA season. The Lakers were going to be champions, okay? I mean, we all know this. But a month off has caused some of my sports cravings to actually subside. It's, it's, it's interesting. But I am sure that they will be easily reengaged when we get back to normal. But isn't it like that with uh, fanatic addictions? And I think it's okay for us to call them fanatic addictions. We're, we're among friends, no judgment here. But why the list? Why would I even ask you, what are your top three things that you don't think you could live without? It's because you need to discern what you really need. Now, I know that God has been exposing my idol factory heart for many years, and especially during this COVID-19 crisis, I've noticed it. And so we feel like we can't live without certain things. And they might be caffeinated things, they might be communication and connectivity devices, they might be competitive sports and all kinds of entertainment. And the reason we are so attached to them is because we find pleasure in them. We enjoy those things. And today, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon is recounting his foray into pleasure-seeking. And what I want you to see is this. I want you to recognize the unsatisfying nature of so many things that we think we can't live without. You know that good things at our disposal can easily become idols. Uh, Greg Easterbrook, in his book, The Progress Paradox, said, we have more of almost everything today except happiness. The more we have, the unhappier we become. And isn't it true? 
As soon as you get that thing that you've been waiting for, that thing that you're waiting for to come to be delivered even on your doorstep, as soon as you get that, you're not happier. It, it takes you like five minutes to get over it. When Alexis de Tocqueville toured the U.S. in the 1830s, he noticed what he called a strange melancholy that was hanging over Americans who were in the midst of abundance. Isn't that interesting? And this French statesman really concluded that the complete joys of this world will never satisfy the heart. And that's what Solomon is telling us today. That the pursuit of pleasure leads to poverty of soul. And especially in this pandemic, shelter in place, social distancing, quarantine moment in time that we're living. But we also see that pursuing God's pleasure leads to a prosperous soul. A, a soul that is prospering in God. Now, we are not health and wealth, prosperity, falsehood people. We believe the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. We don't believe that we are promised you know, health and wealth here on earth. But pleasure, apart from God, leads to ruin of your soul, and pleasure sought in God leads to a prosperous soul. Now, what has Solomon been telling us all along as we have gone through, so far, the first chapter of Ecclesiastes? What have, what have we seen? What has he been teaching us? Well, he started off in the first 11 verses by telling us that we're not in control. God is in control. Only God is in control. And that everything in life is vanity. It is vaporous. It is fleeting. It is brief. It's the steam-like nature of life, like steam rising from a coffee cup. And then what he moved into in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, is a, experiment number one in his search for meaning in the world. And what it was was, let's do the best thinking that mankind can do. And the answer was, we can't figure it out. Only God knows. So we go from, we're not in control, to we can't figure this out. And so this is very apropos to this moment in time that we are all living in, because it's easy, isn't it, is it not, to you know, scurry around and try to you know, figure everything out, and it's really tough. Only God knows. So when we're in this passage today, we look at Solomon's second experiment of finding you know, the meaning of life, really. And, and the question he's asking is, can pleasure satisfy? Can seeking pleasure and enjoying all these pleasurable things really satisfy your soul? And the answer that comes out is only God satisfies. Only God satisfies. Start with me at verse 1. He starts by saying this. I said in my heart. He's talking to himself. And you'll notice that this continues. Of the 40 times in this passage, he says, I, me, and my. It's very centered on his pursuit. So he says in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So literally, the, the limitations are off, the reins are off. Go for it. Now, I want to start by saying this. Pleasure is not evil. 
Pleasure is not evil. In fact, in this chapter, verse 26, it tells us it's a gift from God. That God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Now, the same word for pleasure occurs eight times in Ecclesiastes. It's a noun that's translated a variety of ways, including not just pleasure, but joy, uh, the word mirth, and enjoyment. And so this is something that, that God gifts us with. So pleasure is not evil. God gives uh, joy. He gives pleasure. But what he says in verse 1 is, Behold, this also was vanity. Enjoying himself, you know, going for it, was vanity. That's the idea of brief, vaporous, not lasting. Now, the pursuit of pleasure isn't wrong. But he was looking for meaning in pleasure. There's the difference. Pleasure apart from God, not taking God into account. And, and what he does through this passage is he lists various categories. And you can quickly just run through them with me. Verse 2, he starts with everyone's favorite, comedy. Okay, Comedy, and he says, I said of laughter it is mad, and of pleasure what use is it? So he said, I tried to distract myself with jokes and humor, and it didn't work. He moves on in verse 3, and he says, next I tried wine. Right, an intoxicating substance. He tried to cheer himself up with an intoxicating substance. And he says in verse 3, I searched with my heart. Notice he's searching with his heart how to cheer his body with wine. And he said, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. What does that mean? It means he didn't want to become drunk. He wanted to keep his faculties and have insight into what is good for people to do. Right? And he said, I, I wanted to find I had a lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life, the brevity of life. And so he tries comedy, he tries wine, and, and then verses 4 through 6, he tries work and accomplishments. He did building projects and gardening and landscape architecture and all that. And he says in verse 4, I made great works. He knows he did it. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Verse 5, I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I mean, this is awesome, right? You got fruit trees probably. I've got fruit trees at my, in my yard. That, that's, it's a joyful thing. It's a pleasurable thing to get fruit from a tree that you planted yourself even. Verse 6, he says, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So I had my own aqueduct. I had my own pond even. I don't know if he was fishing in, the, in those ponds, but I would. He moves on in verse 7 to possessions. He had many things, lots and lots of things. And he also had people to do what he didn't want to do. He said, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. He had servants to just do his beck and call. And he says, I had great possessions of herds and flocks, uh, more than any who were before me in Jerusalem. Like, I was the greatest ever. Now, who was before him in Jerusalem? His father, David. Now, he moves on, and he says, money. You know, the status, the security, right? He could buy anything he wanted. Money was no object to him. Also in verse 8, I gathered for myself silver and gold and, and the treasure of kings and provinces. Didn't satisfy. And then he moves on. He says, I went for entertainment. He says, I got singers, both men and women. People who could just sing any song that he wanted at a moment's notice. And then also in verse 8, we see sex. No strings attached even. And many concubines, he says, the delight of the sons of man. 
But here you have Solomon pursuing pleasure, laughter, work, accomplishments, power, prestige, wine, women, and song. This was his focus. Verse 9, he says, I became great. I surpassed everyone, right? And then he said, my wisdom remained with me. I was still wise too. Remember that when he asked God, God said, give me, you know, what would you like? And he says, give me wisdom. Because I'm going to give you wisdom and a lot of other things. But he learned some things through this. In verse 10, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I, I kept my heart from no pleasure. There was nothing off the table. He could do anything he wanted. He says, my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. And that's interesting right there. The reward was just in the toil, in, in, the, in the work. And he was living like a king, because he was. No one over him. No one demanding anything. No expectations. No one told him what to do. No one told him no. Nothing held him back. What's he describing? He's describing paradise. He's describing this paradise that he created on earth. Another Eden, if you will. A garden of his own making. That's what we do. We try to find ultimate happiness right here on earth with all the things that we want to gather around, no matter how little we have or how much we have. So he's describing paradise. He had created a paradise on earth, a garden of his own making, another Eden. He was living a charmed life. He was in the upper 1%. Most people didn't have the things he had. He had the perfect situation. Some of you are envious as you're reading this list. You're thinking, I want that to be true of me. And yet, all the things that set him apart, and this is where it really gets interesting, it kind of gets mind-boggling, okay, mind-blowing here. Everything that set him apart and far more is available to most people in the Western world today. Right now, most Americans can afford abundant food. You don't even have to go to a specialty store to get specialty food. You can go to like a mini-mart at the corner. Most Americans can, can afford a lot of food and enjoy art and entertainment and music and parks. We live in more space than we need. And we have this overabundance. When you might say, well, wait a minute. Solomon had servants. I don't. Okay, well, Solomon had his servants. Here's what we do. We pay people money to do the things we either can't do or don't want to do. Lawyers represent us. Doctors care for us. CPAs prepare our taxes. We even have people cleaning our houses because we don't want to do that. And chefs preparing our food. 
You might say, well, hey, wait, 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 wait. Solomon had private singers. I mean, can you really top that? He could just say, play me a tune right now. Hmm, is there anything that might be in your home right now that if you speak and say, please play me this song, it might play it for you? I mean, crazy, huh? I mean, we have thousands of songs, not just at our fingertips on our devices, but we can just speak out in our house in this little round thing in our house just starts playing music that we requested. Is it crazy or what? And you might say, well, hold on. Solomon had concubines. Yeah, what's our, what's the, uh, what's the equivalent today? Far worse. We have the internet and pornography. You know, no, no society ever has had more opportunity to pursue so many sinful sexual fantasies than right now. See, what the preacher is listing sounds a lot like middle-class America, except that we have more than what he's talking about. We have air conditioning and freezers and refrigerators and smartphones and international travel and space exploration and advanced health care and hobbies galore. We have so much to amuse ourselves we don't even know which, which hobby or which special treat for ourselves we should do next. And we devote tremendous amounts of time and energy and money to pursuing all the pleasures we want. You know, it, it's been saying, saying and said that you can't always get what you want, but we sure live like we can always get what we want. I'm indicted on this. You're indicted on this. We're all in the same boat here. Seems like we're just living for entertainment, for the next thrill, for the next trip, for the next high. So we, more than anyone, should listen to Solomon. Right? We would do well to consider what he has to say to us. The results of this pursuit of pleasure. Look with me at verse 11. He said, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. There's his conclusion of the pursuit of pleasure. It's fleeting, it's futile, it did not satisfy. The man had everything. It profited him nothing. You notice, verse 11 says, he considered it all. The Hebrew verb considered literally means to face, to look right in the eye. Solomon faced up to reality. He looked at his life realistically. He, he looked at his soul realistically and said, what am I getting from all of this? And it wasn't pretty, what he saw. You know when you look in the mirror and you, you're kind of surprised at who you see? It wasn't pretty. As one 
writer put it, he built his soul a lordly pleasure house. And he said, O soul, make merry and carouse, dear soul, for all is well. It's like the man that Jesus spoke of that said, soul, you're prosperous, you have much laid up for the future, let's build bigger barns. And what does he say? You fool, tonight your soul is required of you. You see, all was not well. So he contemplated his delights and he found they were vanity and vexation, fleeting, futile. It could not satisfy that deep, continual soul craving. We know it well. Because the empty pursuit of pleasure leads to spiritual poverty. Pleasure cannot satisfy. See, pleasure cannot be the reward because the works do not endure. It's vaporous. It's, it's out the window. It's like when you have the air conditioning on and the windows are open. Everything's just getting sucked out. True joy is found outside of us. So how can you find the right place for pleasure? How can you put pleasure in its proper place? That's what I want to focus on with you right now. How can you put pleasure in its proper place? We have to look in the mirror of God's word. We have to learn from Solomon and consider. And I want you to consider with me three real life decisions that you need to make. Three real life decisions that you can make of any age. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. The first is this, serve God's purposes. Serve God's purposes. You remember that I said that 40 times in this passage, he says, I, me, my. He says, myself, 40 times in 11 verses. You know, in Proverbs 21, 17, it says this, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, the parable of the seeds, it says the seed that fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but they get choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And it, there's no fruit that comes out. No fruit to maturity. You know, someone has said that satisfaction does not come in the pleasures themselves. It is always sold separately. You might feel like you were baited and switched. But you need to busy yourself serving God's purposes. It's like Isaiah 58. Just read Isaiah 58 today. It talks about turning your foot from going your own way, seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, but taking delight in the Lord. Christian, you know, instead of binge-watching silly shows, why don't you binge-read sacred scripture? Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Why don't you use your gifts to serve the Lord and his church and reach the world? Use the gifts God has given you to teach children and youth and adults and men and women the word of God. Use the gifts God has given you to deliver food and make meals and go shopping and pray for other people and make masks and make blankets and make clothes and write cards and just bless people however you can. 
as you carefully use the resources that God has gifted to you and entrusted to you. Be a good steward. See, emptiness comes to you and I when it is me and my and myself and I. But anything you do for Jesus and his people is not wasted in God's economy. You think of all the tragic events in world history, plagues and epidemics and pandemics and viruses and bacteria, too numerous to count, catastrophic loss of life. And each time, the church was there ready to serve the needs of their contemporaries and ready to speak to their eternal needs and their temporal welfare. You use God's resources and you utilize them in his service. Like Colossians 3.24 says, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Whatever you do because of Christ's love, God knows your motivation. It doesn't matter what people are saying, oh, that's not a spiritual thing or that's not a good thing to do. Just whatever it is that, that you want to do to redeem the time for Jesus and the gospel and bless others and share your heart, do it. I think that this, this slower pace that we're all living today, it can teach us to seek God's purpose to seek God's pleasure in everything we do. It, it pairs us down, really. And, and it, it's like, let's just not insist on our purposes. Let's serve God's purposes. It's really the first decision you need to make today. I'm going to serve God's purposes. It's the first decision you need to make when you wake up in the morning. Secondly, put your plans in perspective. Put plans in perspective. It's very easy, is it not, to force your agenda on everyone or seek God's will. Uh, James 4, verses 13 to 16 says this. Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on a business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. James learned this from Solomon. You are a mist that appears for a little while and, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogant plans. You boast in your arrogant schemes. I mean, we all have plans, but we forget that whatever plans you have for today or tomorrow or next year, God can change them. How have you responded as God has changed your plans in the last month? We have all had changed plans. Weddings and graduations and proms and banquets and sporting events and parties and school and work and vacations and weekly corporate worship. We complain. God has a perfect plan. God knows what he is doing in this time. God knows why you're sitting home with your household right now, maybe alone or with others in your household. God knows why you are sheltering in place. Who would have dreamt on January 1st 
on New Year's Day this year that this is where we would be on April 19th. Only God knows. And, and you need to learn, you know, as you're putting your plans in proper perspective under God, you need to learn with a tender heart. You know what happens when you make God's gifts idols? Your heart becomes calloused. And you start pushing your plans all the time. And then your heart has to be broken for, you to, for God to get your attention. Sometimes you just get crushed, right? You just get crushed. You, you notice how idolistic you are, and, and you get crushed, and, and then you need comfort. There's a lot of you like that right now, where you feel bad about your life. You feel bad about what you've done. You feel bad about what you're engaged in, even during this shelter in place. And, and what I'm going to say is, do this. Learn the lesson God wants you to learn and keep moving. Only God and his word is perfect. You're not perfect. And, and don't excuse your sin. Just confess it to God. Don't beat yourself up over what you have done or haven't done or think you didn't do well enough. Just start right now. Turn from your sins. That's repentance. And, and turn to God and be honest and make things right as you need to make things right, and trust God to use you to bless other people. Octavius Winslow, you know that that's someone who lived a long, long time ago, just by his name, Octavius. Octavius Winslow said this, the cross of Jesus displays the most awful exhibition of God's hatred of sin, and at the same time, the most august manifestation of his readiness to pardon it. Pardon, full and free, is written out in every drop of blood, proclaimed in every groan and, and every bit of mercy at the cross. And then he said this, O blessed door of return, open and never shut to the wanderer from God. How glorious, how free, how accessible. Here, the sinful, the vile, the guilty, the unworthy, the poor, the penniless may come. Here, too, the weary spirit may bring its burden. The broken spirit, its sorrow. The guilty spirit, its sin. The backsliding spirit, its wandering. All are welcome here. Wow, all because of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins in our place and buried and risen from the dead. Wow. You know, I just want to say, make these decisions today. Serve God's purposes and put your plans in perspective under God so that you can learn those lessons. And then third, the third decision you need to make today, find Pleasure in God. God is the fountain of all true delights. Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist said, In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forever. Pleasures eternally. So break that down. In his presence is fullness of joy. All the joy that you could ever hope for, all the all the goodness you could ever hope for and Jesus gives joy and he said no one can steal your joy from you when you have it from me 
and think about it. We have joy in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have joy in Christ, even if you don't always experience that joy. The joy is real and abiding, and it goes beyond your circumstances. And then it says, at his right hand are pleasures forever. The right hand of God is the place of authority. The right hand of God is where Christ now is interceding for us. At his right hand are pleasures forever. You know, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, as the psalmist sang. And so, look, look, there is no need for you to build uh, paradise on earth. There's no need for you today to try to reproduce Eden. God's going to prepare the new Jerusalem, the city of God, Eden 2.0. That's where God's pleasure dwells, and he dwells with his people. And so your pursuit of pleasure is really showing you something significant, that you were made for another world with greater delights. In this pandemic, shelter-in-place, social distancing, you know, quarantine moment, it's very easy to become downcast or even defiant. It's true that suicide and depression and substance abuse are on the rise in this moment. It is true that defiant opinions are flying in all directions. And people are insisting we need human and medical and political and economic solutions. And we do. They're helpful. But they can't give you hope. They cannot give you hope. What do we do? What are we scurrying around trying to do? We're trying to numb the pain. And we try to fill our days with pleasure. We, we binge watch. We, we binge eat. And it leads to poverty of soul. God's perspective is that pleasure, pursued for its own sake, cannot satisfy your soul. Here is Solomon pursuing laughter and work and accomplishments and power and prestige and wine and women and song, and it didn't satisfy him. I'm here to tell you today that there is hope. The God of the universe sent his son to die for our sins. Now, I'll tell you, you know, where this passage we're in in Ecclesiastes points us to the gospel. And Ecclesiastes fits perfectly today. The reason why is because Ecclesiastes is for people with idle factory hearts, written by a pleasure seeker for pleasure seekers. You think about those three things you can't live without that you wrote down or you thought of earlier. What you don't have right now, you don't need it right now. And it's all going to burn. Do not, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17 tell us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when you discover, really, that the pleasures that you are pursuing under the sun cannot satisfy your soul, you know you have to look beyond this world. And your unsatisfied longings is this clue that you were made to enjoy the pleasures of God. Think about it. If you and I could find lasting satisfaction in all the pleasures of earthly life, we would not know our need for God. And Ecclesiastes 
uh, convinces us that satisfaction only comes from God and this world is not enough. And that the Bible tells us this very clearly, that there is a God in heaven who sent his son to save and to satisfy and to sanctify. Jesus did not live for himself, but to live for his father's pleasure. You know, someone has said that everything that Solomon pursued, Jesus was tempted by but resisted. That he was, Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. You need to run to Christ today. You need to run to Christ. What does 1 Corinthians 10 tell us? Paul is recounting the unfaithfulness of God's people through the years as they pursued their own pleasures and how God wasn't pleased with them. And it says in Verses 11 to 14 in 1 Corinthians 10. Now these were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but that is which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. God is so good, so kind to give us examples to learn by. Solomon's example, uh, the example we see from the people of God through history, so that we would not fall into the same sins that God's people did in the past. I mean, I know you want to please God. If you're tuning in and you're, you're, you're listening to the word and, and you're wanting to please God, you, it has to be your ambition. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, we have as our ambition to please him. And to please him, you must disobey yourself and obey the Lord. When you trust God in the heat of the spiritual battle, when temptation comes, you look for the way of escape that God provides. And I'm here to tell you today, that way is Jesus himself, the way, the truth, and the life. Remember the gospel of God's grace in Christ today, beloved. Remember Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Philip Ryken said it this way, He, Jesus, is the Savior that every dissatisfied sinner needs. The man that Johnny Cash was looking for in The Wanderer. One good man, a spirit who would not bend or break, who could sit at his Father's right hand. In his presence there is Fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forever. Absolute truth. Absolute truth. Only Jesus saves, and he is standing at the door, and his return is imminent, and our reward is with him. Heaven will feature him, and he keeps his promises in the turbulence of life. The Lord, as Psalm 149, verse 4 says, takes pleasure in his people. So you put pleasure in its proper perspective when God is there. Not just for you or your main driver in life. Pleasure is only in proper perspective when God is there. Because guess what? That list that Solomon gives us today, there is pleasure in all of those things used rightly. Pleasure in laughter, a gift from God. Not mocking other people, not joking inappropriately. There is pleasure in work done for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23, there is pleasure in feasting at a banquet with thanksgiving. A good appetite, Ecclesiastes says, is a gift from God. You receive it with a merry heart, not, a, not, not being a glutton, not being intoxicated. 
There is pleasure in the gifts that God gives people to build beautiful things and cultivate beautiful gardens where you feast your eyes on the colors of creation and you see the beauty of God. There is pleasure in money used wisely for God's purposes. There is pleasure in music that delights the ear and moves you to worship God. There is pleasure in sexual union shared in in a marriage between one man and one woman as God intends. Just receive God's good gifts. Don't make them into idols. Be grateful for his good gifts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, that whatever you do is you're eating and you're drinking and you're working. You thank God every day for his gifts. So as we look in the mirror of God's word today, we consider three real-life decisions. Number one, serve God's purposes. Number two, put your plans in perspective. And number three, find pleasure in God alone. Satisfaction in God. Being a good steward that is enjoying God's gifts. Pleasure in proper perspective. Meaningful, holy pleasure for the people of God. Pleasure that comes in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Find your pleasure in God. Only he satisfies. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can seek your pleasure. We thank you, Lord, that you have taught us that you alone satisfy our souls. Thank you, Lord, that you give us strength and ability to serve your purposes, to put our plans in perspective, and to find pleasure in you, the fountain of all delights. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
so glad you have joined us for this time today. Grace Church and those who have joined us near and far, uh, our desire and our prayer is always that Jesus Christ would receive all the glory. Our prayer is that unbelievers would come to faith in Christ and that believers would grow in their relationship with Christ. And if you have never come to faith in Christ before, I uh, admonish you, I encourage you, I invite you to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe that Jesus died in your place at the cross for your sins. He shed his blood in your place. We were celebrating the resurrection last week, but Christians get to celebrate the resurrection every single day. Praise God. We get to really relish God's riches in Christ. And so I want to uh, close us with a passage of scripture that really explains what God has done. In Titus chapter 3, I want to read verses 3 through 7, and this is talking uh, from a believer's standpoint. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you that you, by your mercy, save all who come to you. You draw them by your grace, and we are so thankful. We pray, Lord, that many would come to faith in you, that many would grow in their faith in you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity today to look in the mirror of your word and consider real-life decisions. Lord, we want to serve your purposes. Lord, we want to put our plans in perspective under you and we want to find our pleasure in you, Lord. We want to know, know for sure from your word, Lord, thank you that you have given us this assurance that satisfaction is in you and that pleasure can be put in proper perspective. And thank you, Lord, for your presence with us always. Thank you, Lord, that you alone satisfy our souls. We commit ourselves to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.